Welcome, all you blokes and chillers, to the Sport Shack from the Gold Coast, Australia. In the Sport Shack this week, we're going to talk about some of the sporting topics of the week and go back in time with some of our favourite sporting memories from the past as well as the news and events, music and film, and lots more. And all from and with our great mate, Paul Tonner. We acknowledge the Ugambe people, past and present, the traditional custodians of this land, of the Gold Coast, we thank the Yogambe people for the opportunities to do this podcast on their land. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sports Show. I hope you're well and have had a great sporting week. Hi Glenn. Hey Paul. <laughs> that was an interesting start, wasn't it? Yeah. All sorts of gremlins on the lawn today. Yeah. Oh, the joys of tech. Technology, eh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We got there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how's that? Something the... going on with my laptop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're here to test us. Yeah, it's good when that's it's running, right. but occasionally it tests us and oh, gets gosh. a bit confusing. It's infuriating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like cars. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell everyone about your car. I'll tell you about my car. Yeah. (laughs) Because I've got a big slat. Yeah. A huge slat. Yeah. Okay. Yep. You go first. Now, well, I I knew there was a a leak in the head gasket. And I thought, yeah, just drive it till it went. And on Saturday, it went (laughs) in the big way. (laughs) (laughs) Just going out to see a friend and just out on the highway and clack, 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 yeah. bang, and all this smoke appeared. But luckily I was able to pull off safely and, yeah. and that. But, yeah. Uh, Gosh, you don't need that. Uh, well, yeah, the, the car has been really good service to me. and It was on yeah. its last leg, so it doesn't worry me. It's just a part of life. Yeah. yeah. So you get it fixed or no? Nah, no, nah, it's going to cost. Fixable? No, nah, unless I'm cost more than that car. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I've already got someone to come and take it away. Give me some. Oh, okay. Ready yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> Spare parts, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm dreading my next car service coming up. Yeah. Like it's due for one now, but I'm just, uh, I just feel I'm going to get hammered. Just yeah, they're hocking. Sense there's things wrong with it, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna start saving up. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because now I'm in a different state, you gotta go and get a blue slit. Mm, that's and, right, and even without the motor being gone, I don't think it would pass the blue slip, so yeah, I'm not bothered anyway, yeah, yeah. but I'm gonna, yeah, hopefully, I'll go and look at a Honda. CRB. Yeah, I've been looking up on them and finding out about them, and they seem to be a good car. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you've been looking for a little while now. For yeah, something else anyway, yeah. You know, it's just yeah. a big pain in the backside to transfer. You know, yeah, from one state to the other. Oh, it is. I, I wish it was sort of like the trucks, because all the large trucks, they all come under federal. So you can drive around. You know, 
They do, don't they? That's right. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, it should all be the same. Mm. You know, not this state business shit. Yep. Going back and forth. You know, because I'm not looking to stay down here, you know, forever. Eventually I want to move back to Queensland when the time's right. Mm. Um, yeah, and then I yeah, say, so, ah, well, I'll just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So is, your, is that your only <laughs> slap of the week? No, I'll tell you my slap. Well, that has to do with cars and yeah. plus Wednesday it was, I finally got around to washing my car. <laughs> I spent all this time washing it and it just looked beautiful, you know. Yeah. And the following morning I get up, go downstairs to go do some shopping and the whole car's covered in uh, white. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. What the bloody hell's happened? And these uh, mongrel, imbecilic kids that got in, because the, the gate where I live yeah. has been buggered for three weeks now. Oh. So, they, I don't know, they're waiting for parts, you know, the security gate for the underground car park. Yeah. These mongrels got in there overnight, got the fire extinguisher, oh. sprayed my car, yeah. sprayed all these other cars. Oh. Yeah. They caught them on security camera, but yeah, as we know, what happens with juveniles, just a little slap on the wrist, yeah, and nothing will happen, yeah, yeah. So, had to wash it again. <laughs> That's my slap, my big one. Yeah, uh, I've, I've yeah. got, I've got, a, I've got a slap of the week, and and, and that's more, that's um. Have you heard about the the cruise liner that came into Sydney? With yeah, oh, I was carrying COVID or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Eight hundred people affected with COVID. Jeez. It sounds yeah. That does that sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going 100. back. Yeah, going Gosh. back. And they said, "Oh, it's fine to go ashore. Don't just don't go in." To public yeah. transport. Well, we've had to wear masks. Yeah. Work again now. Yeah. Because they reckon, oh, there's a big COVID wave in Queensland and uh. not many of us are wearing them pretty much, yeah. you know, because we're just over it all. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. How long has it been now? You know, nearly three years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But um, no, I've got some big losers. My, probably my biggest loser. Is the Wallabies? Yeah, they got beaten by Italy for the first time in rugby, and Italy are just a one of the real easy beats of European rugby. And their coach Dave Rennie's got a lot to answer for, and yeah, because he um, decided to put a second string team in. So yeah, just thinking, oh yeah, yeah, we'll win, we'll win, we'll win easy, and no, they got beat. <laughs> so serves them right. So yeah, yeah just uh, you know, if you're playing for your country, yeah. you put your best team in. Yeah. You don't bloody chop change and yeah, yeah just ridiculous. Yeah. And Victoria in uh, the Sheffield Shield cricket, they got beaten by two days by Queensland here in Brisbane. Yeah, I think the first innings they bowled all out for sixty-two. Mm. Yeah, so. Um, 
Yeah, and the Western Sydney Wanderers supporters in the A-League. They're getting up to all sorts of uh, mischief and mm. letting off flares at games. And yeah. I'm sure it's not just their supporters, like because they, they had the Sydney Derby on the weekend where they were playing uh, Sydney FC. Yeah, but they had all sorts of crowd problems there. And Oh, and Glenn Maxwell. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah, he's out for the season. Yeah. yeah, I've always, you know, a lot of he's copped a lot of criticism over the years, but I've always been a massive Glenn Maxwell supporter because I just think he's so, he's, you know, he's just so naturally talented and yeah. um, probably should have played more Test cricket than what he has. But in the short form of the game, you know, he's consistently, I think, one of our best players. Yeah. Yeah, but he was at a fiftieth birthday party. And, yeah, he wasn't intoxicated or anything, but he was mucking around with this bloke and uh, running around and he broke his leg and he's out for the season. So, yeah, that's no good when we're playing uh, England in a series of one-day games coming up in the next few weeks. But England are winners because, yeah, they they won the T20 uh, World Cup final the other night. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, deservedly so. They were definitely by far the best team in the tournament and had a win over Pakistan. Um, yeah, but the toss is so vital in those T20 games. It seems to favour the team that bats second. Yeah. And they're all around to Sam Curran. He's another winner. He got a man of the match and player of the tournament. So outstanding uh-huh. performance by him. And Samara in the Rugby League World Cup. They've made it through to the final to play Australia. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. Well, you think to their first game, they played England. They got beaten by 60 points. Yeah. They're copping all sorts of criticism. Mm -hmm. And then they beat England an extra time on the weekend in the semi-final. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it looks like something's going to happen, you know, with their... Because at, at the moment they're they're a tier two country, right? Yeah. So once they get promoted to tier one, well, a lot of those players they probably and they shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, they, sh- they shouldn't be eligible to play Origin, State of Origin. Yeah. So um, you know, guys like Junior Paulo, um, oh, what's the name of their five eight? Yeah, they've got quite a few players in there. You know, that play for State of Origin, and yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, no. You either decide what you're going to do. You know, if you're going to play for Samoa, that's great. Yeah. But you don't get the player origin. You know, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, George Russell, he's a a Brit. Another Brit. So they they've had a good week. He won his maiden Formula One title in Brazil. Yeah, beat Lewis Hamilton. He came runner up. And my massive winner. Is former Where Are They Now? And I think he might have been our very first Where Are They Now? Jeff Fennick, America Phil Mauler. Did you hear about that, Glenn? No. Yeah. He was um, all these years later, so 31 years later, he's been awarded his fourth world title. So I don't know if you remember, but there was that fight against Azuma Nelson back in 1991, I think it was in Las Vegas, and he got ripped off. You know, he um, 
he was by far the best fighter. Yeah. And she yeah, was declared a draw. But yeah. they've actually looked back on it years later and they found that they've made a mistake. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they flew him over there with his family because yeah. he didn't know why the WBC were inviting him over there. You know, they yeah. kept it a secret. Yeah, and they surprised him and they said, no, you're going to get your fourth world title. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And that brings up a topic, you know, because I was listening to a radio station last week and, yeah, they were talking about, um, and we, we'll talk about it, in a few weeks, I was thinking, yeah, decisions that we would like reversed in sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the one, the main one that comes to mind is uh, Shane Warne. Yeah. Right? When he was on 99, when he was batting against New Zealand in a test match, yeah. he skied that ball in the deep. Yeah. And was caught on 99. But yeah. then when they replayed it, Daniel Fattori, who... He bowled the delivery, his foot was way over the line. It was a no ball. Yeah. And if that happened today, he wouldn't have been given out. He would have got his extra run and yeah. happy days. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, that's uh, something, you know, I think, yeah, we should look into. Yeah. Because yeah. I can think of a couple there, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they have a lot to do yeah. with cricket. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah, do you have any decisions that you wish you could reverse? In life? Yeah. Oh, a whole heap of them. <laughs> but, you know, they were the choices we made at the time. That's what right. I made at the time. And but, but, that's what I thought was the right choice. Uh, but, yeah. But what if someone made the choice for you? Well, <laughs> they'd have to have a good hard look at their life. <laughs> what about yourself? Yeah, well, I think I told the story a couple episodes ago about when I was younger, I was at Mudgee, and I was about, yeah, about to go out for oh, a walk with yeah. the girl, and, yeah. and mum came out, so I would like to change <laughs> that decision, say, so, mum, I'm going off, I'm going off of there. <laughs> yeah. But yep. it, yeah, but then again, if that changed, the ones that got away. Yeah, but but, but when you think about it, if I went back and changed it, we would never be doing this podcast. That's right. Yeah, the whole timeline changes and uh, yeah, everything like that. Things yeah. happen for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some some and things happen um, just because you got no control about the parts of your body. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, a lot of the time, I guess it's best to stuff up our choices and decisions that we make in life because that's how yeah. we learn, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's like sporting teams and individual sporting and athletes, you know, like, yeah, yeah they learn from their mistakes and mm. they always say in, you know, grand finals, the team's got to lose one to yeah. win one. Yeah. yeah. Except Parramatta. <laughs> oh, it happened to them back yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, they lost 77, 79. Uh, oh, 76, 77. So that waited another four years. But, yeah. oh, yeah, these days, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that goes out the window. They just lose. Yeah. yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you a decision I'd love to reverse. And 
they had the 2009, how Melbourne beat them in the grand final. And, geez, it would have been good if the NRL decided to give them the premiership <laughs> that year. <laughs> but, no, uh, you couldn't really. Yeah. yeah. It'd, be, you know, so. it'd be hard ass to, yeah, to do things, yeah, like change the outcome of a grand final compared to a war. Oh, yeah. a, Rewarding metals, yeah, because mm. some of someone's cheated or yeah, yeah. done something wrong. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this week we're going to talk about some interesting and sometimes unusual training methods used mm. in sport over the years. So, last week we mentioned former British race walker Donald Thompson, who, in the lead up to the 1960 Rome Olympics, exercised in a steam-filled bathroom at home with the heating turned up and wearing a tracksuit because he found it difficult to find find time to leave his job. And then he went on to win the Olympic gold medal on the 50-kilometre walk. <laughs> he looked like Mickey Mouse too, apparently. Yeah. They said like, that was his nickname. Yeah. Mm. Now, when you think of interesting and bizarre training methods used in sport, what comes to your mind, Glenn? Well, there was... That was uh, the the old Cliff Young, that won the Sydney to uh, Sydney to Melbourne Marathon. He used to train in gumboots, running around in right. shuffle around in gumboots in his yeah. potato That's farm. That's a good one. I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because we spoke about him in a former episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that escaped my mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how he trained, didn't he? Yeah, but running around in gumboots. Yeah. yeah. And he said he was able to conserve energy by shuffling, so that's why he was able to keep awake while everyone was having a rest and he just shuffled past him. Yeah, yeah that's how he won. Because yeah. he, he just kept running all through the night yeah. while they were all having a kip. Yeah, and it's the story of the turtle and the hare again. Yeah, you know, the turtle won just by taking slow and, and steady and that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah. <coughs> no, well, me, Arnie Carroll, because she was a, a net, she coached netball at all levels, from yeah, you know, from local to international, and she had very strict rules that if if anyone turned up to training after her, yeah, she would. Make him do a hundred push-ups and a hundred sit-ups and and stuff yeah. like that. But <laughs> they always got there before her. <laughs> yeah, and if you did that today, oh yeah, that's abuse. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah. No. you can't even tell a player off these days. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's you know, if you ask Wayne Bennett that question, what's the big difference between now and you know, because he's been coaching in the NRL for. Gosh, 40 years now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the difference. You know, back then you could rip into a player and swear at him and call yeah. him this and that. Can't do that now. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that these days get, they get paid a lot more money than they did, you know, back in the 70s, early 80s mm. when they got you know, paid bugger all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, to nothing. Well, yeah, a lot of them were amateurs. Oh, and excuse me. Yeah, we're going to go into detail today about a, a sportsman, famous 
sportsman who was a an amateur and had to give up, had to retire at a very early age. Yeah, that happened today, you know. They could, uh, yeah, with you know all the money and sponsorship, yeah, yeah. they could have a much longer career, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now ones that I think of, like, well, mainly to do with when I was playing cricket, and I used to, you know, practice a lot on bowling machines. Yeah. yeah, and oh boy, they could they could get spit out. <laughs> yeah, they were like big golf balls. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, and I I used to practice on the oval like, uh, with a uh, it was called a catching net, and it was a net, and if you throw you know you throw the cricket ball at it and it bounce off the net and poof, fling back. Yeah. Jeez, it was good for your hand eye coordination yeah. and yeah. catching skills and. Yeah, another one was the, like the ball on a string. Yeah. Um, but I just found that frustrating <laughs> because you, you weren't allowed to hit it hard or else it just get tangled up all the time. Yeah. And I've still got one in my car, actually. Yeah. Um, but what, what I did find, this is going back in the 90s, um, I was living in a townhouse, the first place I ever owned. And, yeah, there was something I saw in the magazine it was called a Batmaster, and it got rid of that problem. It was a ball, and it was on a rod. Oh, and the ball would just, like, it wouldn't get tangled up. It would just fly back at you, you know, and, and you had to wear your full kit, you know, whereas yeah. the ball would be coming back at a great, you know, great speed. But, jeez, yeah. oh, jeez, it helped my game big time. Yeah. And it used to drive the neighbours insane. Yeah. <laughs> but, um Oh boy, it was an effective training tool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's one that they use now. It wasn't around when I was playing, but you see a lot of the, uh, you know, the juniors playing it, and also, uh, you know, the elite players. They they have like a ball with a on a dog stick. It looks like a dog stick. Yeah. And they're in the nets, and yeah, the coach will like fling it at them while they're while they're batting. Yeah. Uh, so that's like a very common tool I use with batting today in cricket. Yeah. Um, but another one I saw recently in the lead up to the Pakistan tour, yeah, Aussie batsman Manus Labashain. He built a pitch inside his home in the lead up to the Pakistan series and he put bits of tape everywhere on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, pretending they were like the different cracks in the pitch and oh, yeah. Yeah, sort of... Uh, you know, this is where you know getting used to the different turn at turn of the ball and yeah. Yeah, playing the ball late. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I remember after I broke my back in the late nineties. Um, yeah, all of a sudden, instead of running and all that, I had to start using things like gym balls and do Pilates and hydrotherapy in the pool and so yeah, it was all a whole different method of. Uh, you know, fitness. Yeah. Mm. But I do Pilates now and I do a class every Tuesday after the, uh, the podcast here. Yeah. And, yeah, it's great, great fitness. Oh, yeah. But if you go right back, Don Bradman, very famously, the, the greatest cricketer of all time, when he grew up in Barrel in his backyard, he, he had a um, – he used a cricket stump and a golf ball against a water tank. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got vision of that on uh, 
on the our Facebook page, yeah. and you can see why he became such a good, great batsman yeah. because it really developed his hand-eye coordination. And, yeah, and yeah, just some of these sports people over the years that actually, you know, they do ballet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the the NFL greats, Lynn Swan. He, I think, he was probably the first player to do it, and you know, he's probably looked at back then and. In the seventies, was a real sissy, you know, doing it. But um, yeah, no players do it now. Aussie boxer Harry Garside, he does it. He even uh. paints his nails. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's supposed to be. I guess it's really good for their footwork. And it, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's sort of because I think doing heavy sports like football, you use the heavier muscles. And mm. you don't really use the smaller muscles. That's so, right. So by doing some exercise that uses smaller muscles, you know, it mm. gives more support. Yeah. yeah, and I guess when you're on your toes, you can move mm. better. You know, like I remember with batting, you know, you'd be taught not to bat on flat feet. Yeah. You know, you'd have to be have your weight forward. But yeah. Yeah, things like uh, boot camps that a lot of sporting teams do. Like I remember the Aussie cricket team in the lead up to the 2006-07 Ashes. Like the, they'd just been beaten in 2005 and lost the Ashes for the first time in years. And yeah, and they um, their coach, John Buchanan, he got them to go on this boot camp before the series. And yeah, Shane Warne, and oh, he just thought it was all a big wank, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he, and he just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, but it seemed to really help them because they went on to seek, get revenge and won the Series 5-0 in a whitewash. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and we spoke in a previous episode about the Midlands soccer team in Zimbabwe in yeah. the second division competition there. Yeah, and... <laughs> How their um, coach would get them to swim because they were losing. They were losing quite a few games and yeah. weren't going well. You know, they're facing relegation. And so, yeah, they all thought it was due to these evil spirits. You know? yeah. So the coach said, oh, we've got to get rid of these evil spirits. So he, he got them to swim in the Zambezi River <laughs> to get rid of these spirits. And, yeah. um, you know, it's right near Victoria Falls and, um, yeah, and despite the strong currents and, and the fact that it was infested with crocodiles and hippos, yeah, he still got them to do it. And yeah. when the players all came back, one of them was missing. <laughs> like there was 16 <laughs> and only 15 turned up. Uh, and, yeah, that player, they've never found out what happened to him. To <laughs> he might have taken off over the other side and run yeah. off into bloody Zambia or somewhere like that. <laughs> Or he got eaten up by a bloody croc. Or, mm. yeah. But I think hippos do the most. I think they're responsible for most human lives, aren't they? Yeah. 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 But I remember, yeah, former Aussie batsman, their great player, Matt Hayden, he used to meditate on the pitch before a game. Yeah, in front of the stumps there. Mm. Anyway, we'll move on to our quiz now. It's quiz time. Right, so this week, going to read out the questions. There's six questions, and they all relate to training methods in sport. 
unusual training methods. Well, some are pretty much common today. But uh, so I'll read out the question. We'll have some thinking music and then I'll give the answer. Right, so question one. Which Queensland state of origin coach employed a coach whisperer for the 2019 series where the team were not to mention anything to do with New South Wales? And the answer is Kevin Walters. Yeah, so uh, I remember when I was coaching junior cricket in the state championships and would be up in Charters Towers and it's 40 plus every day. And, yeah. <laughs> and the players weren't allowed to complain about the heat. <laughs> the coach and then, yeah. And if they did that, they put in a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, question two. What is the name of the exercise training that uses speed and force of different movements to build muscle power and is sometimes referred to as jump training? And the answer is plyometrics. Right, third question. What is the name of the training method which involves varying the intensity or speed when running to improve one's fitness and endurance. So it's multiple choice, this one. So is it A, interval training, B, fartlek training, or C, tempo training? And the answer is B, fartlek training. Okay, please explain. <laughs> yeah, so what it is... I remember I used to do it when I was able to run and it was it was a great form of fitness. Yeah. Yeah, you would um say you're running around a football field, right? Like a rectangular field. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So say you would uh run up slowly your normal speed up the sidelines, but when you got to the goal line, you would sprint to the other end and then slow down when you got to the sideline yeah. jog normally. So it's a it's yeah, change mixing up your sprints and normal just jogging. Does yeah. that make sense? Okay. Yeah. I don't know who they named it after. I can't remember now, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not farting, it's fartlek. <laughs> now, this one I'll put on the Facebook page because it's, it's a video and it's really interesting. So what is the name of the famous American swimmer who has been seen at training swimming with a milk carton on their head. <laughs> and the answer is Katie Ledecky. Yeah, oh, I saw that and I couldn't get, get over it. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable how she manages. She's a freak. Yeah. Right, fifth question. What is the name of the training method used by athletes where there are fewer oxygen molecules per volume of air, and the aim is to increase the number of red blood cells. And the answer is altitude training. Yeah. Right. Question number six. Have you noticed that, Glenn, when you're up in the mountains or somewhere at high up and 
you find it a little bit harder to breathe? No, not really. Yeah. I notice that when I go move back home, you know, when I go and visit my parents, oh, it, the upper blue yeah. mountains. Yeah. I I just find it's hard to breathe in the colder weather. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. No, but it's been proven to be a very effective training method over the years, you know, yeah. for um, endurance athletes. So. Mm. Right, so question six now. What is the name of the NBA team that in the 2007-08 season began the trend of eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before a match and went on later that season to win the NBA title? And the answer is the Boston Celtics. They defeated the LA Lakers four games to two. Yeah. So this week, in that who am I? Right, this week. So, now, um, it'll be a tricky one for those here in Australia, but if you're in America, you'll probably get it straight Wowza, I thought you'd enjoy this one, Glenn. <laughs> Put it this way, she's our best looking who a liar. It gave me an idea for another episode. <laughs> yep. I thought your eyes might pop out of your head when you see this one. Yeah. Right. I was born in 1984 and I'm a former American Alpine ski racer. Now, according to Wikipedia, I've won four World Cup overall championships and won gold in the downhill at the 2010 Winter Olympics, the first by an American woman. I've also won a record eight World Cup season titles in the downhill event, five titles in the Super G. So the difference is the Super G is, is um, where there's more speed than discipline of downhill the downhill event. So she's very brave, this lady as well as being extremely good looking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scoop. Uh, yeah, but just, you know, you, you do downhill skiing, you you got some ticker in you. Fair dinkum. Yeah. There's no way I'd do it. I couldn't even stand on skis, let let alone go down over 100 k's an hour yeah. down the hill. Yeah, mm. so, yeah, and three consecutive titles in the combined, so that's the Super G and the downhill, from 2010 to 2012. Now, because quite a few skis have died over the years in these events, yeah. you know, the downhill and the Super G. Yeah, you, you, yeah. You'd have to be focused all the time. Oh, bloody yeah. If you lost concentration, <laughs> then something slightly wrong, you'd be, you'd be wretched. Oh, you'd be mate, I've got to show you the video. You go, you go to the Facebook page, have a look at the video. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's showing off her training technique that I'll talk about. <laughs> I've won a record 82 World Cup victories, and I'm considered one of the greatest female skiers of all time. Now, in 2010, I won the prestigious Glorious Sportswoman of the Year Award, and also that year, I was the U.S. Olympic Committee Sportswoman of the Year. Now, during my career, I missed several seasons due to injury, and in 2014, I tore my anterior cruciate ligament in my knee during training. 
Now, in the lead-up to the 2018 Winter Olympics and recovering from another ACL injury, I used a form of training called virtual reality. Now, we've spoken a bit about this one before in our technology um, episode. Yeah, so what it involves is putting on a virtual reality headset and being able to control the virtual environment to help minimise risk of injury and assisting with being prepared for competition. Now, I have appeared in Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Magazine (laughs) (laughs) and finished 59th in Maxim's Hot 100 list. What number number one was she? (laughs) (laughs) Gee, the judge must be a harsh judge. 59th, turn it up. 59th. If she isn't top three, I'm not here. So, so, so what year was that? Uh, fuck it if I know. Uh, <laughs> Ten I, years ago. I, I was going to try and I was just going to try and set some the list and see see the yeah. other fifty eight people in front of her. Well, that Maxim Hot One Hundred that's been going for quite a while. I remember back in the late nineties. Yeah, I had that. Yeah. 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 But I also once dated Tiger Woods. Yeah. So that was after she, you know, the sex scandal. Yeah. Yeah. So my name is. Uh, but but I can't wait to the end of the episode. So you have to tell us now, please. <laughs> You're going to be doing lots of googling. <laughs> I want to know the na- yeah. I want to know the names of Google. Yeah. Okay. So right yeah. Paul's going, <coughs> to, Paul's going to stick by his word and reveal it in the episode. I sure will. Okay. Yeah. This week's Who Am I? Right, so this week we're going back to the world of track and field and one of my all-time idols, this bloke, an absolute legend. He's probably one of our oldest Who Am I's. Um, but just an absolute legend of Australian sport and not only going to talk about him, we're going to talk about his very famous coach. So he's, we're going to talk about the great, the one and only Herb Elliott. So Herbert Elliott was born in Subiaco, Western Australia in 1938 and is a former Australian athlete and one of the greatest middle distance runners of all time. Now in 1958, he set the world record in the mile, clocking 3.54 so three minutes, 54 seconds, taking 2.7 seconds off Derek Ibbotson's time. Now, he then set the world 1,500-metre record, running 3.36. And at the 1960 Rome Olympics, he won the 1,500-metres goal and broke his own world record with a time of three minutes and 35 seconds, 0.6. Now, according to athleticsaustralia.com, Elliot's career was short but brilliant, and he was never defeated over 1,500 metres or one mile, a feat that no other athlete has achieved. Now, he was a brilliant junior athlete and attended Christian Brothers College in Perth. Now, that's a very um, well-known sporting school over there. Now, injury prevented Elliot from trying out for the 1956 Melbourne Olympics. However, he was inspired when attending the games as a spectator. So his, uh, his idol was uh, John Landy. Yeah, that famous um, 
uh, Aussie distance, middle distance runner. Yeah. Yeah, and what he, what he did before the Melbourne Olympics, um, he wrote a letter to John Landy to get some advice about training. Yeah. And you know what John Landy did? Uh, wrote him back a 12-page letter yeah. on training, yeah. training techniques. How oh. good is that? Yeah, that's good. To take his time. Because Herb Elliott back then wouldn't have been a, you know, he was just very young and yeah. he didn't probably had no idea he'd go on to be this legend. Yeah. yeah. But took the time to write 12 pages wow. and help him with his training. That's uh, good. So Elliott was coached by the brilliant but eccentric Percy Serretti, Serretti, sorry, at his famous camp in Portsea. Now Serretti used a system of Stoughton training, which was a holistic regime of natural diets, hard training in natural surroundings. So examples was running up and down sand hills and mental stimulation. Now, Serretti competed in athletics when he was young without distinction. However, was always a very determined man. Now, when he was 43 years of age, he had really bad rheumatoid arthritis and he had a nervous breakdown and was forced to leave his job at the Postmaster's General's department. Now this forced him to have a good look at his life and he decided there and then he said bugger it I'm going to dedicate my life to healthy living. So he focused on a vegetarian plant-based diet, weightlifting and running. Now Soretti's health greatly improved and he began competing in distance running events during World War II. Now, at 51 years of age, now this is a bloke who had you know, nearly died from rheumatoid arthritis, remember? 51 years of age, he competed in his first marathon and ran a time of three hours and one minute. Now, according to the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, he retired from running in 1950 at 55 years of age after becoming the state marathon champion and setting Australian records for the 30, 50 and 60 miles. So he then focused on coaching, which he became very famous for. Now, there's a, a story, funny story. Yeah. So when um, Herb Elliott broke that world record in Dublin, Ireland, and what was it, 1958? Yeah, it was like the very next day, like they had a, a function in the city there. And, you know, Herb Elliott's in the audience. And, yeah, he didn't know where Percy Soretti was. And this mayor, you know, he's given this really long, boring speech and he's just going on and on and on and on and on. And then all of a sudden, Elliot sees um, Percy's, there was a curtain behind the mayor there. And Percy Soretti, he's got his, one. you can see one of Percy Soretti's hands above this curtain. And then he sees another hand above this curtain. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing bloody chin-ups on this bar behind the curtain. This yeah. is Percy Soretti. Uh, and it all collapsed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the collapsed and the curtain and went all over the stage. And, yeah, this bloke was just a oh, fanatic, you know. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, so Soretti's Stoughton philosophies were, according to Graham Kelly in his book, Mr. Controversial, the story of Percy Wells Soretti, a blend of stoic. So what sto stoic is, it's a philosophy that was founded by Zeno in ancient Greece in the early third century BC. 
BC and Spartan. So Spartan, what that is, it's, it was a prominent city or state in ancient Greece. So he, he's based, based his uh, training on Stoic and Spartan principles. Have you heard of them, Glenn? Spartan Those principles. principles? Yeah, oh. from ancient Greece. No, oh, not it's really. all new to me. Yeah. It's all Greek yeah, to so me. Not, <laughs> yeah. So 1946, he acquired, oh, it's about a whole heap of land in Portsy, acres and acres with his wife, and they began his training camp. Now, in order to bring attention to his camp, Soretti ran 80 miles from Portsea to Melbourne. Now, the training of the athletes at this camp involved running in different environments. Um, so, yeah, it like involved running on bark or wood chip paths or might involve barefoot running or, you know, running along beaches, over sand dunes, and also involved, <laughs> interestingly, poetry and philosophy. And also involved lifting weights. And, you know, they didn't do much of that back in those days. Yeah. Now, Percy believed that the athletes who came to his camps were there to not only run better, but also receive an education in life. They would also come to his home in South Yarra to train with weights and run around the tan, which is a very popular running track in Melbourne that goes around the King's Domain and Botanical Gardens. Yeah, it's beautiful that area around there in the city. Yeah, yes, walked yeah. around there. Oh, botanical Gardens. <laughs> yeah, in Melbourne. No, no, I haven't been to one in Melbourne. I've only been to Melbourne once. Mm. That was when yeah. I was young. Mm. No, oh, it's, I love going to Melbourne and walking around the city there, and yeah. everything's just so central, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Now, Soretti would often get offside with officials due to his eccentric an exhibitionist behaviour. Now, some other famous athletes he coached, including John Landy, the famous Aussie middle distance runner, Betty Cuthbert, Russell Mockbridge. Now, he was a famous Aussie cyclist who won a gold medal, but he, he died at an early age. He was um, yeah. hit by a vehicle yeah, while he was training and sadly passed away. And boxer Jimmy Carruthers. Now, some athletes found Soretti too much However, acknowledge the benefits they gained from his coaching. Now, according to J.H. Jr. Ritchie in the book, What's New in Running Shoot Technology, Soretti's philosophy of life included only consume whole wheat bread as white flour was poisoned, reduce consumption of alcohol and no consumption of cigarettes, no consumption of water or drink with meals or following for a few hours, no socialising after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit rough. Gosh, uh. our times have changed. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you, what do you think of those philosophies, Glenn? Yeah, well, yeah. He obviously believed in them, but you know, some of them are fairly strict. Yeah. Yeah. Not not having liquids or for several hours. Yeah. Mm. So, well. I don't see how yeah. that's going to help. I think it was yeah. maybe because he thought that he'd be too bloated or something like that. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, but no socialising after midnight. How uh, dare he do that? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you'd be, you'd be front page news if you did that today. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Do you, what are your philosophies on life, Glenn? 
philosophy. My philosophy. You're a spiritual man. <laughs> yeah, well, I follow the um, the the Buddhist five precepts, which is mm. one is um, ah, oh, I'm just gonna you put me on the spot here. Um, yeah, always, always speak the truth. Um, two is never taking what's not given, so don't steal. Yeah, and totally um, and oh, yeah, uh, the others are there. I just can't think of them at the moment, but it's you know sort of just just basically doing the right thing by yourself, others, and the planet that we live live in. Mm. You know, like no no self harm to any creature. That's another precept. Yep. And, that, and and no no um sexual misconduct. Mm. You know, like if you're with a partner, you know, you you'd be you'd be true to your partner. And that mm. yeah. No, they're great principles philosophies yeah, yeah, to yeah, have and yeah, principles, yeah. And sort of you know, try and leave do what they can to for the planet or people around it. Yeah, mm. And try and leave it a bit better place than when I got here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah try, try and live in harmony with the planet, not against it. Mm. Yeah, cause, yeah, rather than trash it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you have or you haven't got, the hole in the ground is still the same size. Mm. You know, you, you, yeah, anyway, I could go on and go on and on, but yeah. 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 So what's do unto others as what's that saying? Do unto others as they would do. Do unto others as you as, would like have done to you. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, something mm. like that. So, yeah. so do you have any specific philosophies on life? Oh, I knew you'd ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just mainly being a role model, you know. Yeah, role model yeah. to um, your children and yeah. and to others. You know, there's that saying by Gandhi, like, be the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a strong believer in that. Yeah, yeah respond, don't react. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah. you know, in a lot of the cases, you don't know what, you know, when someone has a, might have a shot at you, you know, instead of reacting because you don't really know what, you know, what's behind it. Mm. You know, some, pe right. some people are trying to offload their problem. They have a problem that they're trying to bur that's burning them and they react to things that yeah. set them off. And, you know, to fight back, you know, sometimes can be the wrong thing. Can inflame it even more. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't get you anywhere. No. It really, does it? Yeah. 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 So these philosophies were considered to be very strict back then, and other coaches strongly disagreed disagreed with Soretti's training philosophies. Now, one was Franz Stampf, who pioneered the system of interval training. Now, Soretti disliked this system. And he believed that what he was doing was creating the most phys physically and mentally tough athletes. Now, between 1959 to 1967, 
Soretti published six books on his training philosophies. Now you can probably get them today in the library, maybe. Now Herb Elliott was first coached by Soretti at 18 years of age, just after the Melbourne Olympics. And Elliott would go on to be Soretti's greatest success. Now, Elliot was inspired by Soretti and understood and accepted his philosophies of personal responsibility and going through the pain required in training to achieve one's best. Now, Elliot became the national 880 yards and one mile champion in 1957 and in 1958 at the Cardiff Commonwealth Games. Now, he won the double, so that was the 1800 yards and the one mile. So, I guess that's the 800 metres and the 1,500 today because, yeah, that's um, how me the measurements were back then, weren't they? Yeah. 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 So he repeated the double again in the national championships in 1958 and he broke the world record that year too in Dublin for the mile and also that year broke the world 1,500 metre record in Gothenburg, Sweden. Now, Elliot believes that Soretti inspired him to train harder and more naturally. Now, Soretti had him running up sand hills until he collapsed, and he would say, faster, and it's only pain, he'd say. Soretti was known for avoiding the track and would talk about role models outside athletics, such as Leonardo da Vinci and Jesus. <laughs> Now, the following season, Elliot spent time studying and raising a family. And when the 1960 Rome Olympics approached, according to Michael Roberts in the book Great Australian Sporting Moments, Elliot was unbeaten in 44 consecutive races in juniors and senior events. Now, he was the hot favourite for gold in the 1500 metres. And according to the book Australian Sport Through Time, Soretti and informed Elliot before the race that if he, if he had a chance of breaking the world record or there was someone challenging him, Soretti would wave a yellow towel above his head. Now, Elliot ran the race exactly the plan. He waited patiently to make his move. And with 600 metres remaining, he decided to pounce and began to power away from the other runners. Elliot increased his tempo and gradually stretched his lead, urged on by what he called a faceless competitor. So what this is, it was an imaginary companion he had, in, had on his shoulder. who was there during every training session and every race. Now, Elliot said, quote, the competitor could see into my brain and my heart, and he knew exactly what I was thinking and feeling at that moment, end of quote. Elliot said he would think, you're not getting past me, you bastard. I've practiced a million times being challenged and winning that challenge. So when it came to the race, I'd done it a million times, he'd say. Now, it was instinct. Elliot had been taught a philosophy away from the aggressive approach of attacking another person and more into areas of self-enlightenment and self-development and to be spiritually stronger. Now... Elliot told Olympic historian Harry Gordon when interviewed in 1992 that Soretti embraced the whole personality, not just the athletic part. Soretti put Elliot on a diet of grains and fruit. Yeah.
So what, what do you think about that diet, Glenn? Bit hard? Yeah, a bit hard. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, over the over the years, I've had you know, people try to put me on diets and cut this out, cut that out. I thought, well, yeah. you can still get hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you still. Uh, if I don't these protein balls I make, I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah. I try and eat every three hours. Yeah. Not mind if I don't. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll get real tired and yeah. cranky and can't focus and yeah. Now, yeah, Serenity yeah, he demanded excellence. Now, he, what he was about it was running for excellence rather than strategy and all this tactical stuff, you know. So Elliot increased his lead more and more going into the home straight. And as he went over the finish line, his time showed that he had broken his previous world record of the minutes and 36 seconds by almost half a second. It was a devastating performance. Already got carried away, raced down from the stands, by the fence and landed in a moat near the athletics track, all while waving his yellow towel. There were amazing scenes in the stands and he was taken away by police. Now, he was later released after he was given a stern warning. Well, it's understandable why he's so excited. You know, he spent all this hard work and time and energy training Herb Elliott. And it was like uh, Laurie Lawrence at the 88 Olympics, you know, how emotional he was. And yeah, yeah it'd be so uh, rewarding as a coach, wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, Soretti once appeared on a TV show. Yeah, so he was given a stern warning for what he did, but he didn't care. Soretti once appeared on a TV show called Meet the Press and threatened the panel chairman, Reg Leonard. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't muck around with him. Mm. Yeah. But one, one thing that um, Herb Elliott said, it was on a uh, oh, show I listened to, um, the guy who won the silver medal, he was a French runner. Um, his, his name was Michael Yazzie. Now, he spoke about as much English as uh, Herb spoke uh, French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but he 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 puts he gives a lot of credit to uh, the Frenchman for, for him breaking that world record and winning the gold medal because what the Frenchman did on the very first lap out really hard. And the reason he did that, because the other Frenchman in the race... Yeah, he hated his guts. So he wanted to beat this other Frenchman. Yeah. <laughs> and um, after one lap, Herb Elliott was just stuffed. Yeah. Um, but he, he credits the Frenchman for, you know, for his success in that race. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so silver medalist. So Yazzie, um, so he would have won any previous Olympics in record time. And he said that he was the first man to cross the line that in that race, as he thought Elliot was from another planet. Now, after the Olympics, Elliot then began studying a degree at University of Cambridge in the UK. Now, he retired in 1962 and he spent many years working for an international sportswear company. Mm. He also worked for the Sydney Olympic Organising Committee, leader of the Sydney 2000 Olympics, <clears throat> and was on the board of Athletics Australia from 2003 to 2005. Now, according to the Age newspaper, Elliot was one of the Olympic torchbearers at the opening ceremony. 
and entered the stadium for the final segment just before the light in the Olympic flame. Yeah, I remember seeing him there that night when I was there in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, coming into the stadium. Now, Elliot was once CEO of Puma, North America. Now, he spent time as a board member of Ansel, and from 2005, he served as a deputy chairman and later non-executive chairman of Fortescue Metal Groups, and it's one of the world's largest iron ore miners. Now, Elliot carried the torch of peace to the MCG when Pope John Paul II visited in 1986 and was on the Queen's birthday honours list in 1964 and was inducted into the Australian Sporting Hall of Fame in 1985. And he was appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire. So he's given an MBE in 2002 and a companion of the Order of Australia. And he's also regarded as an Australian living treasure. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's got awards and accomplishments a mile long. And this is for a bloke who retired when he was, you know, 22. Yeah. Now, Soretti's, despite his extravagance, had a big impact on athletes and distance running and has gone down as one of the great coaches. Now, he retired from coaching in 1969, but continued to live in Portsea and remained very fit. Now, he passed away from motor neuron disease in 1975 at his home in Portsea and is buried at Sorrento Cemetery. Now, he was married twice. His first marriage ended in divorce after 34 years. And according to London Gazette, he received an MBE in 1972 for services to sport and physical fitness and then was, in, and was inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame in 1989. Yeah, so if you look at Herb Elliott's training sample, like what he did back then, Monday the morning he'd run seven miles at a varied pace. Yeah. The afternoon he'd do circuit running. Um, yeah, so he'd do a lot of intervals there. The evening he'd do an easy five miles. Tuesday morning he'd do five miles at a varied pace. The afternoon he'd do hill training. The evening he'd do weight training. Wednesday morning, he'd run seven miles. The afternoon, he'd do six miles, varied running running and sprinting. Uh, Thursday, he'd do seven miles at a varied pace. The afternoon, 15 miles. Friday, he'd have a rest, uh, which he well deserved. Uh, now, Saturday morning, it'd be five miles of running, varied pace, afternoon weight training. Uh, Evening, five miles, varied running and sprinting. What did he do on Sunday? Oh, he'd run again. Yeah. He'd run for six miles. In the afternoon, he'd do intervals on the golf course. Yeah, so that's from uh, Training with Soretti by Larry Myers. Yeah, so mm -hmm. but one, one thing uh, with Herb Elliott, he believes the current Australian athletes, uh, you know, are scared of the Africans, you know, because the Africans seem to dominate all the middle distance yeah. track events now and marathons and... You know, because they, they seem to think that, uh, oh, they're born with this God-given talent, you know. But, yeah. yeah, it's just a mental belief they have. And, you know, they breathe the same oxygen. They've got two yeah. arms and two legs. Right. And he yeah. thinks it's, you know, it's a mental thing. There's yeah. no reason why they can't beat them. And, mm. um, yeah, but he, he's noticed that with today's athletes, they train hard, but they're not as intense. They don't train intensely like he did. Um, 
Yeah, but one thing he had, his biggest fear was failure, the fear of losing. And that's what used to motivate him all the time. Um, and his fear just drove him on. Yeah. And he said, like, it was a useful emotion, provided it was converted into a positive action. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually asked um, Sir Richard Branson that, a question once, you know, did he ever fear, um, you know, have a sense of fear when he was, uh, you know, trying to get some business deals? And Sir Richard Branson said, no, never. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he, he retired when he was young, you know, because back in those days, like, you know, because he had a young family to support too. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, he was having to work and train yeah. and he never really enjoyed training. Yeah. Um, and once the pain became larger than the satisfaction, yeah, that was enough for him. Yeah. yeah. So let's look at what Herb Elliott's doing today. So he's still going strong today at 84 years of age. Now he married Ann Dudley in 1959 and they have six children. Now he's been married to Anne, who was a hairdresser for 63 years. He's got a massive, strong dislike of drug cheats. And he said that they should be put in jail. Yeah, now I totally agree with him there. Do you, do you agree with that, Glenn? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah, it is a fine line, like, depending on what they take, whether it, mm. yeah, it was a dedicated drug to enhance them or, you know, yeah. in the case where they've been given, you know, a medication with, with the ingredients and they help to help them with the illness. Yeah. Yeah, but, but if they're um if they're a repeat offender, keep on repeating offending using the the definite um sports enhancing drugs, yeah sure. Yeah, it should be the same as you know, the street drugs. Yeah. Yeah, but still have to be, you know, under strict control. Yeah, not 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 have them locked up just because they took some cold and flu tablets because I had a cold. Yeah. yeah. Or asthma puffers and that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, well, basically, back at the Rome Olympics, when he was running, you never he said he never heard of drug cheats. Yeah. And um, yeah, but there were two Danish cyclists who died. Yeah. And yeah, they found out later on that they had um, speed in their system. Yeah, yeah, because it was a really hot, hot. Con the conditions were really hot. Oh, yeah. yeah, and that was the first time he'd ever heard of drugs in sport. Yeah, yeah. But um, in 2018, the Fortescue Medals Group named a new port in Herb Elliott's name at Port Anderson, which is near Port Headland in Western Australia. Uh, Herb Elliott Port, it was called. Now, Elliott's great-granddaughter um, on Channel... Now, she's on Channel 7. Now, whenever you see the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, she's one of the hosts. And her name is Abby uh, Jelmy, I think it is, who co-hosts the Olympics and Commonwealth Games with um, Hamish McLaughlin. Now, uh, Jelmy was a 2012 Miss Universe contestant, Glenn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> no one to giggle. We're getting spoiled today. Yeah. Now, here are some famous Percy Soretti quotes. Run hard, be strong, think big. 
Hard things take time to do. Impossible things take a little longer. Pain is the purifier. Love pain, embrace pain to be great. One does not have to be mad, but it definitely helps. Mm -hmm. If you die, I will bury you in the sand hills with the other runners. Thus, I urge you to go on to your greatness if you believe it is in you. Think deeper, deeply and separate what you wish from what you are prepared to do. Mm. What do you think of those quotes, Clint? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, pretty you know, good way of thinking. Mm. Pretty determined. Yeah, yeah. Push yourself and be term determination. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, that's the story of Herb Elliott and Percy Cerati. Okay. Mm. Oh, yeah. So... Let's look at some other interesting training methods used now. Sorry, I've got a mouthful of food here. <laughs> now, training for the ancient Olympics. So we're going to go back thousands of thousands of years. So it involved reading philosophy, carrying heavy animals, abstaining from sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Richard Fisher reports in bbc.com that the ancient Greek athlete Milo of Proton was so strong he could break a cord tied around his head with only the force of his brow. Now, he won wrestling titles six times at the ancient Olympic Games. He reportedly had complete control over his muscles, tensing or relaxing them according to his opponent's moves. Now, he trained by lifting a male calf and he kept lifting as the animal grew 500 to 1,000 kilograms <laughs> oh. uh -huh. until it was the size of a bull. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he then supposedly carried it on his shoulders around Olympia before he slaughtered it and ate it. I reckon he deserved it after yeah. doing all that. <laughs> now, he used what is now called the progressive overload technique where weight is gradually added over time to build muscle. It's gradually putting on extra weights on, you know, like you're in the gym, oh, yeah. extra weights on the bar to, because yeah. if you, if your muscles are just doing the same thing all the time, they're yeah. not improving. They're just yeah. getting too used to it. So yeah. that's why they say it's always important to increase the load slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, pot paintings have been useful in giving images on how training and competition took place. So an example was uh, building strength with rocks, holding four horses at the same time. Now, the aim was to perfect mind and body together. Athletic activity was seen as another form of wisdom, just like creative arts, philosophy, maths and astronomy. Now, also, they used physical surroundings to train. To train. So... Example was climbing trees, ropes, pulling carts. They ran on soft or hard sand back then too to prepare their legs. Now, Thanon, a guy called Thanon, he swam around his island a distance of 50 kilometres. And another carried a bronze statue from the temple to his house when he was only nine years old. Now, Milo eventually took it too far and apparently died pulling a tree trunk apart with his bare hands. Now, he became stuck in a crevice and supposedly was devoured by either wolves or, or a lion. 
<laughs> right now, when you know times for uh, athletes were very uh, difficult, in you know with their training during COVID time yeah. in the last couple of years, so elite athletes had to turn to unusual methods of training and unusual training facilities during COVID. Now in 2020, when all the swimming pools in Victoria were closed. Cole Pierce, a young 16-year-old Paralympic swimmer who was aiming to make his debut in a Paralympics, he swam in a dam on the family's dairy farm. With a, so he had, he had a wetsuit on, understandably, and they used wood for blocks and empty milk cartons for lane ropes. Yeah. Now, the dam contained fish, yabbies, and leeches. You, you, know, <laughs> you know all about leeches, Glenn, don't you? Yeah, that's sure. Now, it was difficult with backstroke, though, because there was nothing to guide him. So things like flags, you know. Now, a hockey player set up obstacles inside his home to dribble the ball around. And, yeah, they'd do push-ups with bricks on them and hitting, you know, tennis player would hit tennis balls against the wall. And Peter Lusted from ABC News reported that diver Laura Hickston set up gym mats in her garage and family members have become important parts of preparation. So, like training partners and hitting partners all of a sudden, you know. And, yeah, some <laughs> that even lift weights such as a baby on top of them. So a lot of creativity was involved. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, a lot of uh, famous divers that we've had over the years, they've been uh, gymnasts. Beforehand, they've gone from gymnastics and moved over to uh, um, to diving. Yeah, uh, Lisa Campbell, for, another former. Where are they now? Uh, she, yeah, she was a gymnast before she took up aerial skiing. Yeah. Now this guy, his name is Jerry Rice. Now he used to practice by catching bricks. <laughs> now, according to Jeff Springmere in the Sportster.com. NFL Hall of Famer and all-time receiving touchdown leader was known for his great hands. Yeah, so what, what that means is that, yeah, he, he was good at catching the ball. So he would train catching bricks. <laughs> he wouldn't want to drop them on his feet. Now, Rickson Gracie, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu master with a great mixed martial arts record of 11 wins to nil. Now, he has a very strong neck where he straps a bungee-type contraption to his head and pulls weights around behind him. Yeah. Now, people write articles about his neck. He's a beast of a man. Mm. Now, Johnny Mansell, he's a, an, he was a uh, NFL quarterback. He played two seasons in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. Now, he now plays in what's called, and I've never heard of this, it's called fan-controlled football which is the seven-a-side indoor league, which is in controlled by fans. Mm. Now, it's the first sports league controlled by fans and involves a 50-yard field, a draft, uniform, and, yeah, so the play callings are decided by fan votes, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, but back in his NFL days, in order to get an edge over his opponents, Mansell hired quarterback training guru in 2013 called George Whitfield Jr., who had Mansell splashing about in the Pacific Ocean in deep knee water. 
Now, the aim was to provide physical resistance and mental stress, allowing an improvement in focus outside of their natural environment. Now, unfortunately, his alcoholic tendencies caught up with him and his career fizzled out. All right, this guy's called Troy uh, Polamalu. Now, he's nicknamed the Tasmanian Devil. And he's been involved in two Super Bowl championships with the Pittsburgh Steelers and was known for his range, explosiveness, and the impact on the field. Now, he focused on a training technique called isokinetics. So what it is, I heard of this years ago when I was doing a um, fitness course when I started university. And instead of lifting heavy weights, what it is, yeah, the six-time All-Pro, he focused on focused on movements that mirror his move, his motions on the field. Now, rather than loading four, so I'll give you an example, rather than loading 450 pounds onto a squat bar, Polymalu would do light weights while jumping off a mat. So what mm. it is, it's building fast muscles instead of big ones. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. so that's why, you know, when athletes, when they do training, it's important they do the correct training, yeah. you know. Yeah, or else, you know, if they get too big and bulky, it's going to slow them down. Yeah. Right, LeBron James. So one of the great NBA players of all time, he uses a technique called cryotherapy. Now, what it does, it helps speed up um, his recovery time. That's why he does it after long hours of working out and training. Now, it's been used by other athletes and involves getting into a chamber and being blasted with liquid nitrogen mm. at temperatures below minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit. That's yeah. my soul. Now, it's supposed to make the body go into survival mode, aiding in the replenishment of oxygen-rich red blood cells. Yeah, so I still want to get to that um, recovery center up here, Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you used to go there and benefit from it greatly. And yeah. That involves getting into the magnesium pools, pools doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Magnesium's great for yeah. you know muscles, isn't it? Pain yeah. and yeah, it's really good. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Now, I guess do they have any of those facilities down there? Nah, nothing like that at yeah. all. Mm. Yeah, you'd have to go to Newcastle or somewhere like that. Oh, really? That's miles yeah. away. Yeah, that's a good five, six hours, eh? Oh, no, no, about two and a half hours, roughly. Oh, okay. It's Newcastle. And, yeah. Oh, right. Mm. Right, Frank Shamrock. He's a former UFC middleweight champion. What he does at training, he rolls around on a Swiss ball. So this technique appears to have certainly worked for him helping with his balance and stability. And aw the awkward bounce of the ball mimics the same movements in the ring. Yeah. I used to do that. <laughs> like when I used to um, be a PE teacher, I'd use the big gym balls. Yeah. And it'd be like poison ball and you'd be throwing the big gym ball at them, yeah. you know, and they'd have to try and avoid it and it'd be bouncing around. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Michael Phelps, now the 28-time Olympic gold medalist and greatest swimmer of all time, he would sleep in an altitude chamber and a tent-like bedroom structure. And the aim was to create more red blood cells as the chamber had less oxygen. 
So yeah, I've got photos and videos of all this on the Facebook page. But another one's the Chelsea Football Club in the English Premier League. Now, in 2017, the famous EPL side decided to have fun and try something different. They took out all the big Swiss balls and performed heading drills on the rubber balls. Yeah. Now, example of this performing headers while lying face down over a Swiss ball. Yeah. The Swiss balls, are, you know, gym balls are good for your core stability. Okay. Yeah. Now, many Pacquiao. Now, one of the greatest pound-for-pound boxers of all time, Pac-Man, added to his gruelling routine a very strange nerve stimulation where members of his camp would beat him with a tie stick all over his body while Pacquiao would clench his fist and absorb the pain. Now, according to Ryan Murphy in mensjournal.com, the harsh treatment allows him to familiarise his body with pain so his mind can stay focused during a fight. Mm. Now, Conor McGregor is one of the great UFC and MMA fighters of all time. Now, the Irishman, also known for being a showman, underwent some strange training techniques when he turned to boxing and prepared for his fight against Floyd Mayweather. Now, in front of the cameras and the reporters, McGregor did a movement drill where he would swing his arms all around him, looking like a dangerous noodle. You know those um, swimming noodles you get? Yeah. Yeah, that, they used to be great for warm-up games with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you did run around in an area and tag them with the noodles. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they used to love it. Now, the Japan Football Club, so this is their national team, they use strange drills to try and gain advantage over the opposition. Now, one of the drills involves a player being tied to the goalpost, another player performing stability drills, and another doing crazy shoulder presses with a 45-pound bar. Now, Michael Jordan and Stephen Curry, the two famous basketballers. Now, Jordan, without doubt, the greatest basketball player ever. And Curry, who many regard as the best player in the NBA at present, make use of what's called strobe light glasses. Now, according to Tim Grover, Jordan's former trainer, the bright flashes of photographers behind the hoop are an issue during some clutch moments in a game. Now, the nerve endings in the eyes can be distracted, causing a player to miss a crucial shot. Now, Jordan used his, the glasses at training in the belief that his eyes would become accustomed to the sporadic flashes and improve his performance. Now, according to sportsbettingexperts.com, Jordan also found that it helped him in other ways, such as the game slowing down and picking up on visual cues he wasn't seeing before. Now, Tom Brady, the great quarterback and sporting superstar, has used what's called the TB12 method. So it involves 12 core principles, which include balance, moderation, and nutrition, and keeping his muscles soft to help absorb hits from pass rushes. Now, he definitely seems to work, judging by all these Super Bowls, and he's still playing well into his 40s. I just said recently he's getting a divorce from his uh, Brazilian model wife, mate. Yeah. So it might be a chance there. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. Keep dreaming, Paul. Yeah. Now, this bloke, his name's Quinton Rampage Jackson. 
Now, the mixed martial artist and professional wrestler likes to try and smash down doors. <laughs> you go to the Facebook page, you'll see him go berserk. Yeah. Now, this one, I'll enjoy reading this one. Peyton Hillis. Now, he's a former running back of the Denver Broncos, and he had a couple of good seasons in the NFL, scoring 11 touchdowns one season. However, he also has lots of fumbles, so he drops the ball more than what his coach would have liked. Now, one off-season, his coach told him to go away and practice protecting the ball. Now, Hills went back to his hometown of Conway in Arkansas and would walk around the town carrying a football and would, according to the Professor and Barney podcast, he would often give people on the street money if they could knock the ball out of his hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the following season, Hills only had four fumbles, half of what he had the previous season. Now, Tim Zhu, the Australian light middleweight boxing champion and son of the great boxer Kostya Zhu, uses a technique where he uses four coins. Now, what his coach does, the coach flips all the coins and he catches all four coins before they hit the ground. And it's used to improve his speed for boxing. So you go to the Facebook page, you can see it. It's very impressive. Yeah. Now, the Adelaide Crows, uh, so the um, AFL team, the Aussie football team here in Australia, they employed the what was, what was called the Collective Minds Leadership Group. Now, this happened in 2017 after they lost the AFL grand final to Richmond. Now, the side, the, the teams hired the Collective Minds leadership, leadership Group to work on and improve the player's mindset. Mm. Now, neuroscience tools were utilised by a non-registered psychologist. Now, I think his last name was Wolfgang from memory. Yeah. Now, one was getting the players to listen to the Richmond team song while they trained. Now, another method used was at a camp on the Gold Coast where they had to stand and stare into each other's eyes for a long period of time. Oh, gosh. Now, one player collapsed and was told to stand up and keep going. However, it was found out that he had gastro. <laughs> but did you ever go at men's group? Yeah. Where yeah. We had to do that, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. Got I did us that. to do that activity. Oh, yeah. I hate that activity. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I just refuse to do it now because yeah. I don't get anything out of it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. And as soon as uh, <laughs> they mention it, it's like right. take off. Yeah, now I've got to join this group. I've got to go early tonight. <laughs> <laughs> got an important meeting in the morning. Yeah. Now other methods at the camp involved waking up to the sound of drums. Did you find that method good though? The staring into eyes and. No. No, no, I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it, it sort of, in a way, uh, you know, it got me to be more focused when someone's talking. Yeah. Yeah, to look them in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because staring into another man's eye, eyes, depending on what, you know, if you had a, if you had a trauma past from... Yeah, another male, yeah, that can be really disturbing. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Yeah, and a lot of the times you just burst out laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. But in some, a lot of cultures, like the Aboriginal culture, it's considered offensive to 
maintain eye contact. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it depends on the culture. Like, I don't think it's, yeah. you know, yeah. But, um, yeah, so other methods at the camp would involve waking up to the sound of drums and what they do, they tie players to trees and aim. And so their aim was to get a knife about 10 metres away and try and cut themselves free while the other other players would stand around them and trade insults. So, you know, they'd insult them by bringing up things from their past, such as domestic violence yeah. that sort of stuff. So the aim was that it was supposed to free them from their deepest fears. Mm-hmm. Now, eight of the 22 players have left the club with post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since um, 2018... You know, well, they made the grand final in 2017. They've gone like a busted. Yeah. I think they got the wooden spoon last year. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's no surprise that collective minds are no longer associated with the Adelaide Football Club. Right. Time for the answer, Glenn. Okay. okay. Time to reveal this week's Who Am I? And the answer is Lindsay Vaughn. How you know her name, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> I can Google it. Yeah, oh, no. mate, you'll be Googling all night. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm. Right, so we'll go to our top five now. So Paul's top five. I'm going to go in fifth place. It's a tie between strobe light glasses and virtual reality. Mm. Yeah. Now, fourth place, I've got Manny Pacquiao being beaten up by sticks. Yeah. Third place, I've got Peyton Hills carrying the football around his hometown. Yeah. Well, this is what Mitchell Johnson did, you know, and it worked. Like, um, yeah, because yeah, he was out of form, you know, in and out of the Aussie team, and then he, he got a bad foot injury, broke his foot in a yeah. game and um, when he was batting. And then when he was recovering, he used to when he used to go for his jogs as part of his re, you know in his rehab, he used to carry, run, he used to jog with the, holding a cricket ball in his hand. Yeah, and he came back and destroyed the palms. Yeah, so Peyton Hills in third place, second place I've got Herb Elliott and Percy Soretti and his his training techniques, legendary training methods, and in top spot. I've got Milo and ancient Greece. Milo carrying around the bull on his on his shoulders. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think there'd never be a stronger man than that. I saw these guys for charity the other day. They were pulling a um these trucks along with it on a rope. Yeah. Yeah. Rightio, what was yeah. your number one, Glenn? Well, I actually like the virtual reality yeah. setup because I think that that's got good application, you know, mm. for people that have a fear of falling or, you know, other fears relating to, you know, outside and that. You know, just to be able to retrain the mind. Yeah, because the mind does see things 
and, and perceives it as dangerous and even though it's not. You know, it's just a way of, of reprogramming the mind, I believe it would be yeah. good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's a very useful technique. Yeah. So what's coming up in the next episode? Yeah, so next episode, we're going to look at revenge in sport. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Going to talk about uh, sports people and teams. Okay. Who got sweet revenge after being yeah. defeated. Yeah. So, yeah, they learnt from their defeats and they came back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. So... Yeah, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sports Shack. <clears throat> so it's a goodbye from Paul. It's a goodbye from Glenn. Bye. Goodbye. G'day, it's me again. Please check out the Sporting Shack on Facebook if you like this for posts and other likes and shares. Have a great sporting week. Please check out Gold Studio Productions on Facebook. Until next time.